Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of Charlie's Corner, hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. Welcome back, Scott. Today, we're going to really get into what leading from the middle means and how it relates to us in the insurance industry. Let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your most recent book, Leading from the Middle. It's, uh, it's called Leading from the Middle, a playbook for managers to influence up, down, and across the organization. And it's for middle managers, who I define as anybody who has a boss and is a boss, and as part of their job, has to lead from the messy middle, up, down, and across their organization. It's absolutely about those unsung heroes, the true backbone of an organization. A book for once that's about the people that get stuff done and not the 10,000th book about you know the C-suite or just the people on the front line. It's about the middle managers, which is most of us, frankly. You know, and like I said earlier, having been in that position for a long time, you know, people who are good at it, they make those jobs look fairly easy. <laughs> and people that report to them say, oh, well, you know, Charlie can do it or Scott can do it. I can do it. And then they get in those positions and they come back and they go, well, I didn't know you were doing all this. I didn't know you had all these people <laughs> from the top calling you several times a week about results. And I didn't know I had to deal with all these issues that my employees, my direct reports have. It's really difficult. So let's talk first about leading from the top. How do you lead upward? In the book, I kind of break down a number of ways, you know, how to lead up to your boss, and just by way of definition, lead up to your boss, lead down to your employees, and down isn't meant in a derogatory term, right? Just hierarchically speaking, down to your employees and then across to your peers. And the question I get most often is the one you're asking, Charlie. Um, my boss is a pain in the butt. <laughs> I don't, I, he's, <laughs> he or she is killing me. What do I need to do here? And I go into quite a bit of detail of how to manage up. And so I'll just hit one or two of the key points. I think the most important thing, Charlie, is I'm still shocked at the number of people that don't really understand what's asked of them from their boss. That They're not super clear on expectations. And in fact, we did research uh, to over 300 boss subordinate pairs where we asked both the employee and the boss as we entered this research, okay, are you clear on what your boss wants of you, expects of you? And then then we asked it to keep it fair the other way too. Hey, are you clear on what your employee expects of you? Oh yeah, 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 sure, you know, everybody's uh, so clear. But then when we found, as we got through the interviews with both people in the pairings, over 80%, of the cases, there were material breaches in understanding of basic expectations. So we think we're a lot clearer on what our boss wants from us than we really are. And I go into detail on specific questions in the book and leading from the middle that you can ask to get very clear on expectations. One simple, powerful tool you can use is called the good to great grid. And it works this way, Charlie. It's very simple. I want your listeners to imagine a simple table, right? It's got three columns. In the left-hand side of that table are business metrics that are important to you at your company for attributes like uh, leadership and priority setting and uh, vision. Then in the next column, you have good. And then the next column, you have great. And you sit down with your boss and you simply define the difference between good and great. 
and you put pen to paper to say, okay, all right, let's talk about uh, priority setting. Boston, what to you is good priority setting? And then you agree to a definition on that. Then you say, okay, now what's great priority setting? And you agree to a definition on that. And what happens is it teases out the laziness in the definition from the boss. One of the number one reasons we're not clear on what's expected from our boss because he or she is too assumptive about it, assuming that you know exactly what, or that they don't need to tell you, you should just know. And they have a different picture in their head that they haven't articulated to you, and maybe they haven't even articulated to themselves yet. And when you engage in this discussion and you force them to write it down, it forces specificity. And the tension between having to define good versus great further clarifies what's really in the boss's head for what they're really, really looking for. So it's a really powerful place to start to be able to manage your relationship with your boss upwards. On the upward management, my experience, and I'm curious if yours was the same, is that there's not, in my opinion, there just wasn't that time allocated to having those types of meetings with your bosses. That's right. As the middle manager, you had the expectation that you were going to have those with your staff. But that same philosophy didn't go up the That's ladder. Right. And is that what you've seen in, in your career and in your That's research? 100% right. And what we've seen, you know, we did research with, uh, we started with a base of 1,000 middle managers. We're up to over 3,000 middle managers now, ones that are considered the most successful in their company. And a consistent rhythm and theme we saw, Charlie, to your question, is the most successful middle managers, and I'm going to use this word very carefully, force the discussion. They make it a priority to sit down with their boss first and foremost to get super clear on expectations. And you know what? The truth is, Charlie, a lot of managers don't like that. Their bosses don't like that because you're forcing them to be pinpointed. The the room is no longer round, right? It has squares and corners to it, and it can feel like they're being cornered. And if you approach the conversation from a kind of a higher ground of, look, boss, I want to do the best possible job I can do for you. I need to be super clear on delivering on the right thing. You know, no boss is ever going to hold that against you. You can't make it a personal discussion of, boss, you're not being clear with me. Like, your defenses come up. Elevate it up. Mutually, we want to do the best thing in our relationship together to produce the best outcome. That lowers defenses. Then you can engage in the discussion. The most successful middle managers force that discussion. All right. So let's move on to to leading down. What are the issues there and what are your insights in terms of helping middle managers, you know, manage their staff? Yeah. And uh, I go into a lot of depth in uh, leading from the middle about, you know, how to pinpoint opportunity areas for people, how to have great coaching conversations. For managing down, the most frequent question I get is, I I don't really know how to give feedback in a way that I can impact my people and do it in a way that's right, that'll be received. And if you think about it, Charlie, there may be no bigger task. If you're a manager of others, there may be no more important task than getting good at the art of feedback to help that person grow and to keep them in line with what you expect them to do. And so I talk in the book about kind of the rules of giving great feedback, which are this simple. You got to be specific. My grandpa used to said, white bread ain't nutritious right? Because bland feedback that's not granular doesn't help anybody. So you got to be specific. You got to be sincere in your feedback. If it comes from the heart, it sticks in the mind. You have to be calibrating. I'm giving you feedback, Charlie, now about your intonations as a podcast host. And I'm giving you feedback. And I say, you know, well, Charlie, I feel like you should spike your emotion here more often. Uh, 
if I don't calibrate you on that, you're going to immediately assume the worst and start to spiral down. Meaning I have to give you context. So, hey, Charlie, I want you to work on your voice inflection here. And you know what? At this stage as a podcast host, that's perfectly natural, man. Like it makes a lot of sense. We just, let's work on that together. Or I have to send a shot across the belt. Charlie, I need you to get better at this in a hurry, man. You're way behind other podcast hosts, right? That's calibrating. If you don't give people context around the nature, they're either going to miss the importance of it and how quickly they need to improve, or they're going to spiral down and beat themselves up, making it a bigger deal than it really is because they didn't understand it within the context of where they are in their current development path. Uh, just a couple more tips. You got to be proportionate. Research shows us that the average human being excels and works at their best when they get five pieces of positive feedback for every one piece of corrective feedback. The one exception is if you have a relationship with somebody that's been longstanding. If you have an employee that's been working for you for 15 years, hopefully you're at a point where you don't have to give them five pieces of love before you tell them the thing they need to work on. In general though, for most relationships, it's five to one. Two more points. You got to be timely with the feedback. Just like with your kids, you can't tell them the thing they did wrong three months later. You got to tell them in the point and help them to understand in the context of how they could be better. And then finally, you got to be tailored. We don't all receive feedback the same way, right? In my experience, there's really three kinds of people on this earth. The first kind are the kind of people that tell you, I want feedback. I want the bad stuff right up front. Hit me right between the eyes or I can't even focus on anything else. The second kind of person on this earth are the kind of people who will tell you, no, 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 man, you got to give me the compliment sandwich, you know, start with love. Tell me what I'm, I'm great. Then ease me down. Tell me what I got to work on. Then give me a compliment again. And then there's the third person who says they want the first, but they really want the second. <laughs> they really want the compliment <laughs> sandwich. So you just have to be tailored and understand how people are most receptive and can receive your feedback. And I promise you, you follow, you know, specific, sincere, calibrating, proportionate, timely, tailored. I promise you, you have 80% of the art of giving feedback down to employees. One of the things that always amazed me is that, you know, we put people into management roles, but or supervisory roles, but we don't really give them training for those roles. Right, right. And they don't know these techniques. They don't know how to coach people. I'm sure like your experience at Procter & Gamble, that if you had a, a line and you saw somebody doing something wrong on the line that could be harmful to them or to the product or just stop the production, you know, you're going to go up and coach that person right away and say, this is not the way we do it. This is the way it has to be done. Right to minimize all these other, these potential risks. That's right. You know what's so powerful about doing it that way, Charlie, is the recipient of the feedback, they don't have time to invent unhelpful contexts around your feedback because they're right in the moment, you're reacting to what you just saw. There's no time for them to spiral down because they're like, ah, I see what you're saying based on what just happened. Now try doing that a week later you give the feedback, their memory of what happened is foggy. They're going to start reading into, oh, this isn't about that event. This is about a continued stream of my boss doesn't like me, right? And you've got this layer of space that allows you to fill it with incorrect assumptions. When you hit it right in the moment and the person, all they can focus on is what just happened, there's much less room for misinterpretation. And it's important to get managers and supervisors to understand that principle. That's right. That the quicker you can do it, the better. That's right. So now let's talk about leading across, leading your peers. Yeah. What makes this so tricky is 
most often, right, Charlie, uh, peers are people whom we have no formal authority over. And yet in our jobs, if you want to be an effective middle manager, you have to be very, very good at influencing them and getting them to do what you want. So quite a bit in the book about how to do this. I'm just going to pick out one of the most powerful things, I think. And to do that, I want to do a test with you, Charlie. I want you to think about right now, somebody in your life who was very influential to you, but they had no formal authority over you per se. And it could be somebody in work if you want. It could be someone in your personal life. It could be a boss, a coach, an employee, a peer, a relative. It doesn't matter. So someone in your life who had a lot of influence, but they had no formal authority over you. When you have that person in mind, let me know. Okay. All right. Now, here's the question, Charlie. Thinking about that person, did they do any of the four things in relationship to you? Did they show caring, listening, giving, or teaching? I would say all four. And that is the golden rule of influence. And that's what we see in our research, Charlie, that the people that are most influential in our lives that have no control over us formally, right, from an authority standpoint, they've done one of four things. They've cared for us. They deeply listened to us. They gave us something or they taught us something. That's it. You do those four things in return to your peers, I promise you, you will be 10 times more influential over your peer group. And I've even had clients, you know, after a keynote that'll come up and tell me, they write those four words down, uh, they put them on plaques and they put them on everybody's office cubicle walls back in the day when everybody was still in the office. Hopefully they're doing it at home now to remember if I can care, listen, give and teach something to my peer group, I'm going to give the reciprocity back and be more influential. Those four words are that powerful. And we know from research now that it's what it takes to influence your peers. From an overall leadership standpoint, particularly when you're leading teams, where do you stand on the team dynamics, form, storm, norm, perform? <laughs> How does that fit in the, everything? The classic form, storm, norm, the different stages of teamwork. I think now what we're learning, Charlie, is at any state, the most effective teams are the ones that have psychological safety present. Uh, Google did a massive study on this that has been reconfirmed 15 times over, including by my own research, where it took them over five years to conduct a study to find out what are the components and the characteristics of the most effective teams. And it's really interesting research. If any of your listeners want to check it out, you know, uh, it, I think it's called Project Aristotle from Google. Fascinating, but it confirms my research, which shows that of all the things that teams can do, and forget what stage you're in, forming, norming, storming, all of that, the ones that are the most effective, first and foremost, have psychological safety present, which means, you know, once again, that it's understood that candor and vulnerability are welcome. That's when you, everyone's clear on what their role is and they invite each other's strengths in. Everyone's very good at responding in a proper way when tension arises. And everyone practices fallibility in showing that they're not perfect and that they know they can bring them whole, their whole selves to the table with their team because everybody else makes mistakes as well. And it's okay to show your whole self that way and to share. I think these days, psychological safety may be the single most important thing to create as a leader to produce world-class teams. Well, Scott, this has been uh, just a fantastic conversation and discussion. Is there any parting thoughts that you have for the audience? If they want a, a free 30-page companion workbook uh, to Leading from the Middle, for this podcast, I put it together. They can just go to scottmouts.com forward slash free tools. 
and they'll get a free 30-page companion workbook that goes along with the book. Because we know from research now, it's very clear that the more you can write things down, the better that you retain and learn the information and you revisit it. So scottmouts.com forward slash free tools. And then for middle, you know, middle managers in general, I just encourage you to remember, are you there in your role to assist success or to avoid failure? Which is it? There's a pretty clear delineation on that one factor. It's one of the most discerning factors you can ask. If you assist success as a middle manager, think about the behaviors, Charlie. You're engaging in coaching. You're investing other people. You're sticking your neck out. You're taking risks where it's smart. You're doing everything you can to help move the project forward. Think about what your behaviors look like in the middle if you're avoiding failure. You're micromanaging. You're having multiple tests run at the same time with too much information to cover your butt. You're uh, acting scared. You're not being transparent because you want to hoard information to protect yourself because you don't want to be pinned with a failure, on and on and on. If you can just simply ask yourself, am I assisting success or avoiding failure? I think it's a really important question to be to successfully lead from the middle. Well, thank you very much, Scott. Appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for what you do, Charlie. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast. Mm-hmm.